you hear me? Hey, there we go. Wow. Well, it's, it is just such a joy to be with you and thank you for um, having us for the weekend. I just, I felt quite overwhelmed in worship this morning. I had to have a little sit down because I thought, oh, I don't know whether I'm going to laugh or cry or what. I don't know what's going on. Do you know what I mean? But I'm feeling a whole load of emotions and I was like, Jesus, what is this? And he said, it's because you come home. And I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like I've come home when I'm with you guys. It's the weirdest thing. I've been here once before. Yeah, I feel like I've come home. So, yeah, you're my family, whether you like it or not, it seems. And um, it's, it's such a privilege to share with you this morning. And Charlotte is just going to come. I, I've had a cold. It's not COVID, I promise. But I've had a cold, and I've not got a lot of voice. And I want us to listen to this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. But Charlotte very kindly is going to read it out, so it just helps me a little bit. Okay, the passage is... Oh. Hello. The passage is John chapter 11, verses... Actually, I'm not going to tell you the verses because you'll zone out. John chapter 11. It's a big one. Hold on to your seats. And it's entitled, Jesus Encounters Crucial Events in Jerusalem. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent the word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he plainly, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I I know now that even God will give me whatever I ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, 
I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how she loved him. But some of them said, Could he who not opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thanks, Charlotte. It's a long story, but it's a good one. I'm going to tell you another story about a friend of mine. Her name is Christine. I think maybe some of you will have heard this before because I I recorded It's such an amazing story. I recorded a tiny little video and stuck it up on my Instagram about a year ago. Christine is a friend of mine. And um, when our team first met her, she lives in a slum. And they found it lying in the gutter. And she was a drug addict and she was an alcoholic. And her body was so emaciated. She was like a walking skeleton. And her addiction was very slowly but very surely pulling her down into the grave. And they didn't really know what to do, the team, and, and they sat with her for a while and had a conversation and let her tell the story of her life. And, and then they sort of talked to her a bit about Jesus and who he is and, and how he has an amazing plan for her in him and how there is hope for her and freedom for her in him. And they prayed for her and she had an encounter with the love and the presence of Jesus just lying in the gutter in the alleyway of the slum. 
And then they decided to give her, our teams walk around Bibles, like little mini Bibles in their back pockets all the time, and they decided to take their Bible out and give it to her. What they didn't know when they gave her the Bible was that she couldn't read. She'd never been to school. But she took the Bible anyway, and she took it home. And when I was chatting with her, she said to me, what, what I did was I put the Bible next to my bed. Because the morning, when she'd wake up in the morning, that was the time when she would have like the strongest craving to drink and to do drugs. And she said, what I would do was I would just pick up the Bible, and I couldn't read it, but I would hold it like this against myself. And every time I did it, the, that deep craving to take drugs and to drink would just literally disappear and I would encounter the love of God like I did the day your team prayed for me. And so I would pick my Bible up many, many times a day and many, many times in the night. And, and that's, that is literally what she did, choosing to believe that whatever it said on the inside of it, because she literally had no idea, was true for her life. She held on to it, and that's how she detoxed. I mean, it's extraordinary, really. And as I was listening to her tell the kind of ongoing story of her life, because she's a work in progress, we're all a work in progress, right? We all have broken stuff in our lives, and we're working it through with the Lord, and he's kind. But as she's telling me her story of how she's been one year free from her addiction, and how he's not only been sort of restoring her in that way and healing her in that way and setting her free in that way. He's also been restoring her relationships and her, her family. Her husband had left her. She'd lost her children. They're now all reunited and healthy and whole. And he has a job. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's so stunning. And it's just like, I don't know, transformation after transformation after transformation after transformation. And it truly blows me away. This is the power of his word, literally. She just picked it up and held on to it. <laughs> the power of God set her free from addiction. This is who he is. He is the God of resurrection. He is a God who is a savior, who is a healer, who is a deliverer who is a freedom bringer. He is in the business of taking hold of our sorrow and turning it into joy, of taking hold of our mourning and turning it into dancing, of taking hold of death and turning it into life. That's the God that we love and that we're singing to and worshiping this morning. And I've been reading this story of Mary and Martha for about the last three months just over and over and over again. And the first few times that I read it, I, I got about halfway through because I couldn't read anymore because the tears would just be streaming down my face. And I, I don't know, but this story has been so deeply impactful for me in my life, in my current season. And as most of you know, my very lovely, he tells, I used to introduce him as my very beautiful husband, and he said, that's not cool. Do you know, it's not very manly. So I'm trying to think of it as my very lovely husband. I don't know. My, my handsome husband. My hunk of a husband. He is rather, he's rather splendid. My lovely husband has been very seriously sick for the last two years. He's been critical twice. He had uh, life-saving surgeries in the, in the height of COVID, 
And there is still a lot of uncertainty about his future and his diagnosis. And so the last two years for us have been this kind of really interesting and hard season. And it's been a season full of kind of faith-filled, contending prayer and pain-filled weeping and mourning. It's been such a mixture contending in all ways for life and healing, yet we haven't quite seen yet the breakthrough that we long for. (laughs) And it's been hard. I was saying to someone the other day, I feel like we've been living in a very long night. It's been a difficult two years, but that's not just our story of the last two years. That's most people's story. I think it would be fair to say the last two years of this COVID crisis, of this pandemic, has been deeply challenging for all of us in different ways and at different times. Challenging for us as individuals, for our families, our communities, for our churches, for our nation. It's been tough, hasn't it? And it's been a season of questions and at times disappointment and confusion and disorientation and fear and great loss for many. It's been a dark night. But here in this story of the death and the resurrection of Lazarus, I have found, we can find a promise of great hope and great comfort. Here you have Jesus, and he arrives in Bethany where Mary and Martha lived. We talked a lot about Mary and Martha yesterday, and he's standing outside the grave of one of his closest friends. And a conversation begins to take place between Jesus and Martha, Lazarus was Martha's brother. And they're standing outside the grave and this conversation begins to take place and we get to look in on it for a few minutes, you know? And and in her great pain and the rawness of that moment that she finds herself in, her broken heart begins to cry out to Jesus and she's like, where were you? If only you had been here. If only you had come, Jesus. Like, where were you? Why didn't you come like I wanted you to come? Why didn't you intervene in the way I asked you to intervene? Why didn't you stop this from happening? Maybe we wouldn't have had to go through such pain and such sorrow if only you had been here. And it's this really raw, honest, and human, beautifully human response that you hear from Martha, and a moment actually that I think many of us around the world have been feeling and experiencing and the questions that we have been asking, if we're honest. If only you had been here. If only you had come. And then suddenly, in the midst of it all, this extraordinary, transcendent belief And courage starts to rise up from within her. And then she says, but I know that even now, even now, 
Whatever you ask for, God will do it. Even now, you just have to say the word, Jesus, and my brother will rise. Even now, though I'm staring into the face of death and pain and disappointment, and it feels like we've lost, I believe that even now, you just have to say the word, Jesus, and my brother will rise. And and these two words, even now, have brought me so much strength in my own journey over the last few months with my with my husband and my family, you know, even now as we feel like sometimes we're looking at the, into the face of death, even now when it feels like at times the grave has been so very close and utterly overwhelming, even now in the midst of all of the uncertainty and the pain of it all, even now we choose to believe Jesus, you just have to say the word and my husband will rise, even now. Even now, even now, I believe. And I I find this story so, so incredibly helpful. This interaction between a broken-hearted woman who is grieving and a God who is not uncomfortable with our pain. He is not offended by our questions. I love it. If you, if you go down to verse 35, you can read what Jesus' response to the whole situation was when it simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I don't know about you, but I find that deeply comforting. Jesus wept. His heart was moved. He was filled with compassion. There is so much compassion in his heart towards you so much and he wants to come and he wants to minister himself to you in the midst of life's chaos and turmoil he wants to minister himself and as 2 Corinthians 1 tells us he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort Isn't that beautiful? The father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And now, 2,000 years later, after this story took place, the truth has not changed that even now, even now, even in this moment that the world finds itself in, even now, he just has to say the word. And things too shall rise. Life will come. Resurrection will come because he is the resurrection and he is the life. We don't know necessarily what that life will look like. That's for him to decide, but life will come regardless. And God, I just, I I don't know. I just like, God, I just, I pray, I, I pray that as your people, we wouldn't be those who get buried under the weight and the pain of everything that is surrounding us in the world right now. But instead, we would be those who, like Jesus did, are found standing outside of graves and calling things that are dead back to life. That we would be that. Lord, that we would be those people. And it may be the grave of addiction like it was for my friend Christine. It may be the grave of a failed relationship of a dream, the death of a dream, or the collapse of your finances, 
or health. I don't know what the grave is. In some ways, in some senses, it doesn't really matter. What matters is how we position ourselves when we stand in front of it. Even now, even now I choose to believe that your name, Jesus, means that death does not get to have the final word. I don't know about you, but over the last two years, again, we were talking about this a bit yesterday. I've heard many, many prophetic words coming, you know, for the, for the church in the UK based out of Isaiah 43, where it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on them past. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. See, it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You know the scripture. I'm making streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland, something like that. And I heard it preached over and over and over again, particularly back in sort of January, February, March 2020, and then boom, COVID hit, and the whole world went, woo, we weren't, you know, weren't expecting that, do you know what I mean? And I'm looking back, and as I've been reflecting on, on the journey of, of, of this, seeing this word outworked in the UK church, I don't know about you, but for me, it hasn't looked like what I really imagined it was going to, really, so far. And I've been having a chat with Jesus about it because I'm a bit confused. And so I've been talking to him quite a lot over the last few months about this. And particularly in the last few weeks, I've been saying to him, so Jesus, where, where are we then in this passage of scripture that has been spoken and, I mean, just declared by every stream, every domination, every prophet. It's, just, it's everywhere, you know. And I felt him say, my sense was that he was saying, Nicola, you're just still in the perceiving moment. And it's important that you understand. It's important that we understand what moment we are in, right? So we position ourselves correctly. And it's very important right now. And I I think I might have said this many, many times over the last 24 hours. It's very, very important right now that as the church, we take the time to stop and to listen to what God is saying over our nation, what he is going to do in our nation, and then position ourselves accordingly. Otherwise, we're going to position ourselves to do the wrong thing. We must take time to perceive. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus and the disciples are out in a boat and they're out on the lake and there's like a crazy storm and it's the middle of the night and they're all like proper freaking out thinking they're going to die. You know the story. Like, oh my goodness, what's happening? We're all going to die. And Jesus is found in the back of the boat just like fast asleep. You know the story. It's a really weird story. And so the disciples are like properly stressed. They wake him up and they're like, Lord, don't you care that we're going to drown? And he gets up, doesn't he? And he rebukes the storm and the wind and the waves subside. And then he says to them, why were you so afraid? (laughs) Oh, well, let me tell you, Jesus. Reason number one. Do you know what I mean? It's like, interesting question. I find it a fascinating story. But then you can jump over to Matthew 26. And here you find Jesus and the disciples again. But this time, they're not in a boat. They're in a garden. Right? And this is just before the crucifixion. They're in the garden. And, and this story, to me, seems like the exact kind of mirror image opposite of the story of him in the boat. So interesting. And, and Jesus says to them, the disciples, like, you wait here, stay awake, and pray. I'm just going to go and talk to my father. And he disappears off. And the disciples, this time, they go to sleep don't they? And then Jesus comes back and he's like, mom, 
and he wakes them up. He's like, I told you, you know, can you not keep watch for me for just one hour? Stay awake. Jesus was understanding. He understood the magnitude of the moment that they were standing in. He understood the significance of what was about to play out. He understood that they were in a moment that was about to change everything, all for the rest of history, right through into eternity. He understood the seriousness of the hour. And he said to them, stay awake. And he goes off to pray for a second time. He comes back and they've fallen asleep. And it's it's almost incomprehensible to me. I can't... Jesus has asked you to stay awake and you went to sleep twice. It's just un- it's unbelievable. And I was reading these two stories. I love to read these two stories together. I often do it. And I was reading them together a couple of weeks ago and I felt the Lord say this to me, Nicola, the church has to learn, you have to learn how to sleep when I'm asleep and be awake when I'm awake. Do not sleep when I'm awake and be awake when I'm asleep. Position yourself correctly or you're going to miss the moment, this magnificent moment. Behold, I am doing a new thing. He is doing a new thing. There is a move of God that is going to take place and it's going to transform our nation. I believe it to be true with every bone of my being. You know, I can, you ever have that thing like I can feel it, I can smell it, I can taste it. Transformation is coming, change is coming. It's not coming in a way we've ever seen before. So let's not decide what it's going to look like and start building stuff to try and help make it happen. Let's stop a minute, let's be still, let's go low, let's listen. Let's listen. And when he tells us what to do, let's do it. Let's perceive what he is doing and do the same thing. When he's asleep, let's go to sleep. When he's awake, we need to be awake, people. We have a job to do, right? We have a job to do. You see, if we don't understand what it is that God is doing and and partner with him in that, we will stand outside of the wrong graves. We'll stand outside the wrong graves. There are some things during this COVID season that have come to an end, that needed to die. And we need to leave them in the grave. I want to start resurrecting the wrong things, people. Don't start resurrecting the wrong things. I'm not talking about people here. Let me make that very, very clear. (laughs) You know, just because this is like going out on internet stuff. I'm not saying it's about people, but there are systems that need to be directly challenged. There are practices that need to be turned over and tables that need to be put upside down and tossed outside of the temple. There are things that need to happen. There are things that need to change. There are graves that we need to celebrate, actually. And there's some dead things that we need to allow to stay dead. But there are also some dead things that we need to call back to life. So we need to hear what God is saying and what God is doing and then position ourselves correctly, stand outside the grave and speak resurrection and then let it come. You're getting what I'm saying? If you go back to the tomb that Lazarus was laid in, the interesting thing was that tombs in those times were often carved. They were like caves. They were carved into the hillside, right? They were big enough for you to walk into and walk out of. And they would be sealed with a great big stone, which, you know, obviously you can read about in this story it was. And it wasn't unusual for there to be many bodies to be laid in one tomb at any one time. 
And the bodies would be wrapped in linen and their face would be covered with cloth and there would be many bodies in there. So it's fascinating to me that Jesus stands outside of the tomb and he doesn't go, come forth. I mean, who knows what might have happened if he did, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the day of the walking dead. Whoa, the zombies everywhere. Yeah, who knows what would have happened? He didn't do that. He went, Lazarus, come forth. He knew what he wanted to bring back to life. He still knows what he wants to bring back to life. We need to be calling the right things up from the grave. And it's so funny. I love this bit. It says, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I mean, what a mental moment that must have been, right? For the people who were standing around. Here comes this man who once was dead. Suddenly he's alive. And he's walking out. But he's wrapped in his grave clothes. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus, he then turns to the people who are with him. And he says to them, go take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hmm. The calling forth of life, the declaration of resurrection was just the beginning. They then needed to roll up their sleeves and get very, very practical. They had to go take off the grave clothes. And I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I was saying to Simon the other day, if, if I'd been there, I'm not sure I would have been first in the queue. <laughs> you know, this body's been dead for four days. That, that job had the potential to be very messy and risky and not necessarily enjoyable. But Jesus commanded it and he still commands it today, church. Go find the people I'm bringing back to life and take off their grave clothes and set them free that they would truly and fully live. Roll up your sleeves. You see, prayer and declaration is, is so powerful and, and important. But our job in this hour as the church is not just that. We need that. It's important. It's vital, actually. But our job goes beyond there, doesn't it? It goes further than that. We then have to roll up our sleeves, go take off some grave clothes. We need to get very, very practical, and we're probably going to get quite busy. And it may be risky, and it may be scary, and it may be costly, and we may have to wrestle with a corpse or two. But I'm up for that, aren't you? I'm so bored of being bored. Do you know what I mean? I'm just bored of being bored, Jesus. There must be more to this kingdom life than what we've seen so far, surely. If we truly do know the God who created the universe, there must be more, no offense than this. I mean, you guys are pretty incredible. And Simon and I were just this morning, were like, oh, this is just awesome. We just love being with you. There's so much power in the room. There's so much passion in the room. There's so much Jesus in the room. Like, you guys are so fully alive. It's infectious. And it's very attractive. If I could, I'd just move my family down the road and make camp. <laughs> but I can't. I can't. But if I could, I would. Yeah, I know. We were talking about it on the way down. And uh, yeah, I need to wind up because time's running out and I want to pray for you. But um, 
I can't remember what I was saying now. What was I saying? Oh, I'm moving to Ashford. All right. (laughs) Yeah, that and something else. I don't know what I was saying, but we're called to get busy. Oh, yeah, you guys are very alive, but there has to be more than this. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Right? There has to be more than this. Hasn't there? Has to be. You know that old, is it Tim Hughes song or Matt River? There must be more than this. I'm like, it's like a dirgy song anyway. I mean, I, I'm like, I, I want to go, there must be more than this. Do you know what I mean? I want to sing it like that. There must be more than this. I'm telling you, there is. And it's fully accessible for you. It's fully accessible. I am really sorry, Tim Hughes or Matt Redman, whoever wrote that song. It's an amazing song. I'm just, you know, I'm just going off script. It's just, just dangerous. Anyway, going back to the, the prophecy, it says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And then listen, there's a key. There's a key in it for what the new thing's going to look like. This is the only thing that I do know. I don't know anything else. The Lord's told me, keep your mouth shut. Do not finish my sentences. Don't try and pretend you know what I'm doing when you don't. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is what I do know. It's going to cause rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. That gives us a hint about where this move of God is about to take place. These are not beautiful, lush flourishing, pretty places. These are broken, desolate, barren places. Places that look like graves. There is a move of God coming amongst the broken and the margins. I can feel it. I know it to be true. And what I love about you guys here and what I would hugely honor you in is the way that you care for those people in your own town. You care for the hurting and the broken You care for those who can't feed their families. You care for the ones where Jesus is wanting his power to break out. There's more for you. There's more for you. There is more for you, Ashford Vineyard. You are so positioned. You are so ripe and ready. I was just there this morning like, Lord, I I don't even know if I've got anything to say to them. They're ready. You're ready. You're ready. Hold your position. Don't move out. Do not move out, Chris, until you have the word of the Lord. Hold your nerve. Hold your position. Hold the line. Everyone can shout about what they're doing. Who cares? All you need to know is what the Lord is doing. And you wait for him to speak. The moment that he speaks, move. Regardless of the cost, who cares? I just got to the point where I can't care anymore. I don't care. I'm so bored. As I said, with being bored, I don't care what the cost is. I'll want anything. I'll pay any price to see this take place, Jesus. I'm in. Are you in? Let's stand up. Uh, where's Kat? Can you come? And the, it would be good to worship, wouldn't it? But I just would like to pray. And, and I've got one minute till we go offline, I think, or something techie happens. Um, I just want to pray. If you feel like you've been wearing some grave clothes, just that there's been some pain that you've been living with, some trauma and disappointment, disillusionment and all of those things, the Lord sees you. He sees your pain. You are not forgotten. And you are fully known. And he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and he wants to minister himself to you. So let's just close our eyes. And if you feel comfortable 
and able, just let's hold out our hands in a receiving position, just expectant, like, Lord, here I am. Hand him over your grave clothes. Give to him your pain and disappointment. Say, Lord, I just again today, I just let it go. I place it into your hands, my grief, my sorrow, my confusion, my feeling of being lost and not knowing where I'm going. Lord, I hand it over to you. I let go of my grave clothes. I want to be fully alive. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill the room. Fill the room. Minister your presence, your comfort, your healing and your life. Fullness of life. And Jesus, we stand before you today. And together, individually, but together as one, we just renew our commitment to the kingdom cause. We are yours, Jesus. Take our lives and spend them as you will. Show us the grave and we'll go and stand outside. Show us what you want us to do and we will do it. We recommit ourselves to you once again. Jesus, our Savior, our friend, our commander, our chief, and our Lord, we are here at your service. We serve at your command. Let our lives be lived for you and for your glory, for your name and your renown. Come heal our land. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to just talk to someone today. Maybe you know, you've come with someone that you know. There is no better friend to have than him. Don't miss the moment today. Just grab someone and say, I don't really know who this guy is, but maybe you could just pray with me. And I believe that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you and show you how real he is. Because he is real and he is alive. And he's on the move. And he, as uh, Charlotte was saying, or actually it was somebody else, I can't see her now, was saying he is good. Everything he does is good. And he is all about your good. Don't go home today without at least meeting him and saying hello, because he's here. <laughs> I don't know what you guys want to do, because we've, I've, I've run over, but I just wonder if we could worship or pray or something. And then, But I'll, I'm stepping down. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org, or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week, and know just how loved you are.